then the podcast reaches down the road, hits the lightning, and it's 88 miles an hour, and we're into the future. Welcome to the future. Welcome to podcast number 88, all about Windows Phone. I'm Ewan Spence, and with me in this Oscar-nominated podcast, we have Rafe Blanford. Hello, everybody. I'm not sure what Oscar we're nominated for. Probably uh, Best Sound Production or something. Oh, I like that. Yeah, Best Sound Production. We also have Steve Litchfield. Hello, and I've got been given my list of topics I'm not allowed to talk about, which are... Mm, mm, <laughs> that counts. Yeah. You know, we do have a, we have, do have a swear box which has the name Sion written off. We could put things Steve isn't allowed to talk about in the box. But there we go. We'll get to all that and more. What have we got coming up in the podcast today? Pointers towards Windows Phone 8.1. A look back at uh, Windows Mobile. See all time travel stuff coming in. The fablet comparison, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the large, and the small, and the little, and the large, and the eddy. Uh, and the Sid Grand Theft Auto. Um, some Sony devices don't even run Windows Phone. Uh, and a new CEO for Microsoft. We will shuffle all of them up. And like a good magician, I will keep the order exactly as it is. Perfectly reversed to be run back down at those for you over the next 40 minutes. As always, your comments are welcome. All about WindowsPhone.com and in the usual social media network channels, Facebook, Twitter, HurdlePile, MySpace, Tumblr, Instagram, all of those uh, are available to find us on. Let's start uh, with our first word, ding, which is Satya Nadella. Satya Nadella. Brave, tell us something about that. Well, this is all about the new Microsoft CEO. We heard last summer that Steve Barmer was going to sit, step down within 12 months. And so since then, there's been an ongoing search for a new CEO. And there's been lots of names mentioned. I mean, early on, there was some talk of uh, Tony Bates as an internal candidate. And of course, Stephen Elop, especially after Microsoft announced its decision to acquire Nokia's device and services division. Uh, but Sadeh Nadella has always been one of those talked about. And he's an internal candidate. He joined Microsoft back in 1992 from Sun Microsystems. So he's a kind of a 22-year veteran of the company, but perhaps not very well known uh, outside the company, especially to consumers. And that's a lot to do with where he's been operating within the company. I, I don't suppose many Windows Phone users will have uh, heard of him. He's recently been involved with Microsoft, or rather leading Microsoft server and tools uh, business. Uh, he's been doing a lot of work in bringing Microsoft onto the cloud, for example. And so all things like Office 365 being an Xbox starting to run on Microsoft's Azure cloud, he's been responsible for a lot of that. And actually, Microsoft's server and tools business is one of the most profitable divisions. It's been doing really well. And so I think looking back with hindsight, you can say, yes, he was always going to be a strong candidate. He perhaps doesn't have the experience of running uh, a company in the same way that some of the other candidates did, but he does have quite broad experience across Microsoft. I mean, he's been involved with the Office and Bing teams at various uh, stages. I think the consumer side is perhaps, it's fair to say, weaker, but he has, of course, got the rest of the team around him. Also coming with this news was the idea that Bill Gates was going to come back in as kind of a technical advisor, particularly on, on products. Um, it, it kind of leads to a bit of talk about how Nadella is going to be kind of doing the, the corporate CEO bits and Bill Gates is going to get back into products. Uh, there's lots of discussion you can have about whether this is good for Microsoft. I think on the whole, a change was needed, uh, but it's a bit too early to start reading the tea leaves. Uh, in terms of the impact on Windows Phone, again, it's a bit early to say, but it was interesting to hear Nadella say when he was talking about you know, the strengths of Microsoft. He did you know, hark back a little bit into history talking about the strengths of the software player, but said the future is all, all about you know, evolving for a cloud and mobile first world. And there's obviously a clear link to Windows Phone there. I think the big topic that people will talk about, and we, we don't want to 
do this too much in the podcast because I think it's a, a wait and see a little bit here is you know, what does Microsoft do next with Windows Phone? That's all going to be linked, of course, to the Nokia acquisition, which is going to complete shortly. Fingers uh, but, crossed. Well, fingers crossed, of course. Uh, it's kind of the, there's two views on this generally in the kind of amongst commentators. One that Microsoft should kind of give up and on doing its own platform, except the fact that Apple and Google won the mobile platform wars, i.e. OS and Android, are going to be dominant. There's nothing else you can do about it. Or it's keep investing in Windows Phone and see if you can move up from the third position. Uh, I certainly still take that second viewpoint. I don't think it's time to give up. I think those who advocate that kind of thing don't really understand where Microsoft is coming from. I guess it's uh, something that may may still happen in the future, but it does rather underestimate the assets and the resources that Microsoft has behind it and how quickly mobile uh, evolves. But that's all kind of the issues that he's going to have to address and how well can Nokia be integrated is Microsoft going to keep on producing devices should its other products be put onto other platforms in kind of a first-class way. We've seen a bit of that with Office 365 on iOS and iPad, but uh, you know, will we still get that policy of kind of first and best on Windows Phone? So those are the kind of the issues that are coming up, but it's kind of uh, all changed for Microsoft and uh, really... Uh, I'm reluctant to sort of say too much about what this means because actually I think we'll have to wait and see. Um, I think in general, though, it means business as usual on the one Microsoft strategy, and that is reflected in the fact that Bill Gates is uh, coming back in and Nadella has already kind of doubled down and say that's what he's going to do. Ewan, do you have any kind of thoughts on this? I do, yes. Um, Do you want me to go from serious to flippant or flippant to serious? Well, let's start with serious and then you can do your flippant bit. Okay, fair enough then. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the, the, the all-one-window strategy, because um, this, of course, was Balmer's last great vision, as it were, that there would be one code base, and it would run on tablet, it would run on desktop, it would run on whatever we're calling Surface nowadays, it would run on Windows Phone. Uh, it's interesting that, that he's taken that software. So, and yes, Satya's has went down that approach and, as you say, doubled down. But at the same time, he is cloud services guy. You know, let's make no bones about it. Azure is a forward-looking product. It's one of the most forward-looking product that Microsoft has. Yes, you've got Office. Yes, you've got Windows. Yes, you've got Windows Phone. But I, I'm, I'm going to quote John Gruber here. Um, you know, I know, but because I think his last phrase in his thoughts was very interesting. Um, he says that, you know, that he needs to find Microsoft's new phrase, new goal, which originally with Bill Gates was, of course, a computer on every desk and in every home running Microsoft software. Um, and Kruber's come up with, he thinks that Microsoft services sending data to and from every network device in the world. The next ubiquity isn't running on every device, it's talking to every device. Now, Balmer wanted to run on every device. Hasn't quite worked out as they hoped. Talking to every device, I think, is an is a really interesting jump, and I wish I had made it, uh, rather than having to coach somebody with it or pretend that I made it up. Let's, let's be fair here. Um, I think that's why he's got the CEO position. He's run Azure. He's run cloud services. Let's not forget that Azure probably runs about 75% of Apple's iCloud. Nobody really talks about that in public. But it is working. It is, you know, when you think, you know, there's really only three out there. There's Amazon. Uh, which is great for consumer, but has various issues in the background. There's Google Drive, which comes with a whole heap of trouble, and there's Azure. Now, if you take those three, Microsoft is clearly challenging for the first place in those. Now, Windows Phone is something that connects to the cloud. Windows is something that connects to the cloud. Android is something that connects to the cloud. Android Open Source Project 
is something that connects to the cloud and could easily connect to Azure. I think that I'm going to agree with Gruber. I think that the strategy is not to skate where the puck is right now or where it will be in six months. It's where the puck is going to be in five years' time. Yeah. And I think that by bringing Gates in, you know, Gates can go, I agree with this vision, and everybody believes it. If he was just standing there presenting and go, this is the vision, people inside Microsoft would just go, yeah, you're saying that because you come from the cloud division. So, nah, you would say that, wouldn't you? I think this is a very long-term play, um, and do you want me to do my serious bit now? <laughs> well, I, just to come back on that, I would say it's easy being an armchair and this and this, and we're kind of talking about what is to a certain extent. I mean, there's still every chance that Nadeau will put his own stamp on it, have his own strategy. He'll burn it all in one Android. Uh, and of course, you know, when we talk about the cloud background, I mean, it does get a bit nebulous because something like Azure encompasses a huge range of, of services. Uh, but what we mean by talking about that is, you know, there's various things that run on cloud and Office 365, you know, SkyDrive, which is so closely integrated into Windows Phone, it's like your backups go there. And of course, it's now becoming OneDrive thanks to B-Sky-B in the UK. Uh, But of course, it's also, it can, Azure can be used directly as other companies by ourselves. You refer to Apple there. There's plenty of others that do a lot of startups um, are using it, and as well as some very big corporations to kind of, if you like, it's the traditional server infrastructure, but it's sitting in someone else's, you know, building. And of course, there there's more to that. If you want to follow that sort of thing, there's a lot of information on the Microsoft website. And but it's an area that I think doesn't always get the attention it deserves because there's loads going on there. And of course, Amazon with its uh, Amazon Web Services, really one of the other big players there. Um, on the on the consumer side, you're right, you and you can kind of see this uh, the Google Cloud, the Amazon Cloud, and and the Microsoft Cloud. I'd add the Apple Cloud to that, but of course, Apple isn't running their own hardware in the back end on that, as you sort of hinted at. There, it's really running some on, it's on Microsoft. Zero, I think and, some of it's through a Kai. That, that's there's right. CDNs that Apple use. Um, uh, and that is becoming more important. I mean, I think the thing here is it's very difficult sometimes to break out of the traditional shackles of, of thinking about tech companies. And of course, there is a lot changing in the way that mobile is coming first, but also cloud coming into this. You know, where does the, the value lay in its sort of uh, operating systems versus the service land? You know, quite recently, we've talked about how value's gone away from operating systems and it's sort of sitting more in the app layer and the service and that's become really important but of course above that now we're starting to see that devices have to work together and that is often happening through the cloud and so is the value moving more into that and so it's the idea that if you had a a smartphone today if you turned off your connectivity it would be pretty useless if you go back maybe five to 10 years, the smartphone was a lot more useful in that offline state. And it reflects the changing nature and what we expect to do with the devices and, you know, where you can make money on that. It, it, it shifts and also how you build those together. And of course, one Microsoft is not just about what you were saying. You know, it's a Windows everywhere, which kind of got put on the back burner, but it was really about combining services and hardware together. And that's what you know, the Surface Tablet about and is really what driven the Nokia acquisition. But lots to talk about there. Um, I guess you and you've probably got a flippant point to make about this. So uh, less seriously, what do you think? Well, you said you wanted, you know, we, we couldn't talk about Windows Phone in this announcement. It was far <laughs> too early. Um, but I did notice that in the official picture, where you have all of the Microsoft uh, employees that have won the raffle are around the, the new CEO and the new, um, I don't know what we call them, Obi-Wan role, um, executive <laughs> oversight, um, executive level oversight. I would go with that one because it spells E-L-O as the initials and you can uh, 
having <laughs> 70s rock music playing in the background whenever he walks down the road. But um, lots of people were taking pictures with their camera phones, I have to say. And I think every single one of those phones was a, was a Nokia 1020. Well, there you go. Yellows and reds and silvers. There was no way that you were going to not see the brightly coloured Windows phones. Um, And I can understand why that is, but I would much rather see Microsoft employees with Android and iOS devices as well as Windows phone devices so they know the whole ecosystems that are out there. Okay. So should we move on to the next topic? We will come back to this in the future when it's a bit more clear what's going on. I think there'll be a whole load more discussion when the acquisition of Nokia is actually completed and what we're worried about that Microsoft might ruin or what uh, Nokia won't get right and all of that with their services and how that's going to work together and combine together. We're getting more information about that. You know, for example, the uh, Here apps are actually going to Microsoft in terms of being continued development. Of course, the Here platform remains with uh, Nokia also um, Nokia Mix Radio, which got updated this week, that's going to Microsoft as well. And quite how that's going to fit into Xbox Music remains to be seen. But we'll uh, we'll talk about that in future weeks. This time, I just want to switch back to a bit of hardware and something that Steve, you've been looking at in comparison to the Lumia 1020, which is a Sony QX10. Uh, perhaps we should just introduce this by explaining what the QX10 is, because it's an interesting kind of hardware concept. So, uh, and then maybe you could talk about the the performance and whether that concept really works. Yes, the QX10 and its stable mate, the QX100, are standalone cameras, if you like, except think of the guts of a standalone compact camera or a DSLR, but minus the screen. Um, so you basically, the idea is you take these cylindrical camera units and you clamp them, if you want to, to the back of your lesser camera smartphone, whether it be Android or iPhone or whatever, um, and the, the, a Wi-Fi and NFC um, connection then broadcast the, the, the viewfinder images from the QX10 and the QX100 to your Android phone screen, and you can view them in real time, you can do all the usual operations. And effectively, by clamping this kind of bit of a monstrosity on the back of your uh, non-Nokia, non-Windows phone, it should be said, device, you can turn it into a pretty capable camera phone, but there are quite a number of caveats, as you can probably guess. So, I mean, effectively what you've got here is the kind of the round bit of a, a DSR camera or uh, a point-and-shoot and putting that on the back of the phone and presumably that means something else to charge. But that also means you've got a, a camera module or a unit that's much bigger than you'll ever fit in a smartphone. So does that mean you get much higher quality out of it? Well, it, it's not necessarily bigger. In the case of the QX100, the camera sensors... Um, much smaller than that in the Nokia Lumia 1020. And in fact, it's uh, only marginally bigger than the sensor in the Lumia 1520. So the QX100, I think it's about £150 or so. Uh, it really seems a bit overpriced for what it is. You, you're really getting a good-ish smartphone camera for devices which don't already have a good-ish smartphone camera. I would argue things like the, in the Android world, the Sony Xperia Z1 and the Z1 Compact have a, a roughly similar uh, camera performance. I'd argue that Nokia's 1520 and 1020 have much better performance on almost every level. Apart what, about things like, Steve, what about things like um, optical zoom or ISO sensitivity? Because they're, they're issues that you have with a small package around uh, a smartphone camera. Well, the, the actual camera the mechanic, mechanics and optics inside these devices is no bigger than the optics inside, for example, the Lumia 1020 and the 1520. Like, apart from the fact you've got this whacking great optical zoom lens tacked on the front. So a lot of the same compromises as in, in smartphone cameras are there. But if you need to, and if, if you've got good enough light, 
And this is crucial. If the light is good enough, you can zoom in by 10 times and get some stunningly good zoom. I put some examples up in the comparison uh, on the site that you can go and look at and linked in the show notes. Um, if you remember, one of the reasons Nokia five or six years ago decided to implement their, you know, their high megapixel pure view technology was they said, look, we, we tried optical zoom in our smartphone cameras with the Nokia N93, which I, I had back in 2006, Rafe, and uh, it had a very three times optical zoom and it worked jolly well for the time. But they said, look, as soon as the light levels go down, you've got, you, you're struggling to, get, struggling to get enough light into the smartphone camera in the first place. You then tack on a big zoom lens and it adds three or four more optical elements and you're restricting the aperture. And you end up with almost no light left at the end of the day. So Nokia's choice was to go down the Nokia 808 Pure View and the 1020, the Pure View route, having the whole aperture open the whole way, letting all the light in all the time. We'll worry about what happens in terms of zooming, do it digitally on the high megapixel count at the end of the day. Um, I think my article sets out fairly well for 90% of uses. I'd much, much rather have a Nokia Lumia 1020 than some monstrosity that takes 30 seconds to start up properly, clapped to the back of an iPhone or an Android phone. I, I actually did a, a, some video stuff for, for my phone show on this and uh, for the next phone show. And it's, it's quite comical, really. Uh, Lumia 1020, group of people in front of you. I'll just bring you through it. They pose. Hi there. I'll take the snap. You take it. One second later, it's done. You think group of people in front of you, you're posed. I'll, I'll get my QX10 or QX100 out. And you, you start it up. And you pair, you do the uh, NFC activation. Then you wait for the software to start. Then you wait for the images to start streaming through. Then you clamp it onto the phone. 30 seconds later, you're ready and everyone's <laughs> gone. And that yeah. really sums it up. It's a, it's a much, much less convenient way to, to do smartphone photography. It's only of any use whatsoever if you're taking sort of creative landscapes where things aren't going to move and we've got plenty of time. And also we've got plenty of light and that zoom isn't going to take away the uh, critical light. So, uh, yeah, I'd much rather have my trusty 1020, Rafe. Yeah, I know it's interesting. You were, I mean, that you said in this piece that the kind of the higher spec version, yes, it does, you know, get close to or in some cases, you know, exceed the Lumia 1020, but it's pretty startling that you, they've had to go down that route to kind of get that uh, equality. And I think you're all right that the convenience factor of a, a separate di- device with charging and switching on everything else, you know, I don't think you can underestimate the extra that, that adds. And for, from my point of view, I'd rather spend the extra on the device at purchase time and get a better camera than sort of get an add-on later. And because I think it can make sense for some of the mid-tier devices. But one thing I do think is kind of interesting about this is you can actually use it remotely. You don't have to be clapped to the back of the device. And so that does open up some interesting ways of capturing photos that you can't do when your camera's stuck to the back of your phone. So I think that's a, another potential advantage. But uh, if you want to read more about this, uh, there's a full feature on the site about this. Um, and so thank you for Steve for taking us through that. And of course, have more details on camera stuff in future podcasts. Um, I think the next thing that we'll talk about is Grand Theft Auto. This was kind of one of the high-profile game announcements that's coming soon that came to Windows Phone a while ago. It's now arrived. You and you've been playing this. I know you sort of had a look at the original version as well. So what's your assessment of this? I love the fact the original version. You mean If you mean Grand Theft Auto 1, a top-down a PC viewer from 1996, then yes, I did look at the original. Uh, this is a variant of a Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, uh, which is an area, a mythical area of America with three cities, desert scapes, a bit like Vegas, a bit like Los Angeles, um, all around. Essentially, uh, it's a framework of an open, an open map game. You can drive wherever you want to drive. You can go wherever you want to do. You can 
steal your cars. You can drive around and grab a truck, get in a helicopter, jump off a dam. Um, basically, wherever you think you can go and cause violence and mayhem, the game will let you go there. Um, there is a, a huge level of storytelling uh, from Rockstar Games, um, who are based about half a mile away from where I am just now here in Edinburgh, so a Scottish-based company. Um, one of the last exports we'll have if the independence vote goes through. But um, these stories essentially give you a level-based approach to the game. You don't have to follow them linearly. There's usually four or five plot strands running at the same time. It's a bit like a Quentin Tarantino film. Uh, and this takes you through. You build up, you get more money, more cars, and story evolves you start off just going back and your family is getting evicted uh and you want to stop that happening and um it, it explodes from there like a michael bay film with even more money and no sense at all of uh restraint <laughs> that's 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 grand theft auto san andres in a nutshell now grand theft auto san andres on windows phone has some issues it looks great the controls handle as best you can with a touch screen. Uh, thankfully, there is a generous auto-aim, so as long as you've got the bad guy somewhere on the screen in front of you, uh, when you fire and you're actually viewing from behind, the, yeah, it's a 3D angle now, you will hit them. So uh, the, the trickiest part, the, the sort of aiming, the game is very generous. It does make it feel sort of bit Hollywood, bang, 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 point the gun, squeeze, and it goes firing away, uh, and that's fine. Here's the issues. Size, it's 3 gig. Uh, 2.5 gig plus a little bit extra. So if you're sitting with a phone that doesn't have uh, micro SD uh, for extra storage, you're going to have to clear a lot of film uh, and video and music to get this through. The 16 gig device like the 920, you are going to need to work some. Uh, congratulations uh, do go to them for having the actual download from the app store as a 20 megabyte download. Uh, so you'll need 60 megs to install it. It then downloads the rest of the data separately, but is it, you can't put it into the background or have it running under the lock screen. So you have to keep your phone on while two and a half gig of data comes down, uh, which is awkward to say the least. It looks good. Don't get me wrong on that. Uh, the graphics on this are top notch. You could put these next to a PS2, maybe even a PS3 and go, that would still be a good game. But the biggest issue is your game save. We've talked about this before on other titles uh, on Windows Phone. And the last couple of uh, months, a lot of games have been getting it right. Uh, Minion Rush, for example, uh, from Gameloft. You have a profile that saves the cloud. If you switch on another device, if you run the game on another device, then you will download the data from the cloud. You will find out where you are. If your device gets wiped or stolen and you have to restore the application, you can get your data back. Grand Theft Auto San Andreas does not do that. If you lose your device, if it resets, if you have to hand back a review unit, you lose your game data. And for me, that is right there a deal breaker. This is a game that is going to ask for upwards of 100 hours of gameplay. Uh, and to have no sense of preservation of the data, to have no respect for the user game data and realize that mobile devices are fragile and do break, I think Rockstar have made a crucial crucial mistake here in not implementing that. It is implemented in the iOS and Android phone uh, versions, we should say that, uh, but it is not on Windows phone. And it, that kind of just neuters the whole thing because you're sitting there thinking, I can't move this off the phone. I, I can't switch to another device. If something happens to this, it, it just diminishes the feeling of safety you have when you're playing the game. Um, we won't even go into the fact that for so it's not even an Xbox Live title. You know, I and if Microsoft don't want to put Grand Theft Auto out as an Xbox Live title, well, we might as well bury Xbox Live here and now. 
So San Andreas technically is spectacular, but the, the, the platform issues and the ecosystem issues that it illustrates means that it just feels like not just a wasted opportunity, but a signpost that takes Windows Phone gaming in completely the wrong direction. Okay, well, thank you, Ewan, for that great assessment. As you said, there is that cloud save on uh, iOS and Android, and I think the issue there is Windows Phone, something of a second-class citizen in the port, although it, it's come out you know, a week or so after it came out on the other platforms. <coughs> About a month. About a month, okay. Um, we should also point out that this uh, sort of the mobile version has been developed by Wardrum Studios rather than Rockstar directly, although I think you can use those terms interchangeably when you're talking about the game. Uh, as you said, I mean, I've had a quick look at this and the download process. It all took a long time, which which felt like a lot of work to you know, get this working. And... You know, it's a very different sort of game to the, you know, which to I, to which I personally typically play, which is the sort of casual game, you know, a quick five minutes here and there. This is sort of a console level quality or you know, depth of gameplay. Um, but it is interesting to see that, you know, smartphones are more than capable of supporting this. In fact, you know, this version has improved over the, the PC version that the graphics have been updated. There's a greater depth to them with the shading and things like that. Uh, and in that sense, as you, you say, you're technically very, very impressive indeed, but perhaps does raise some questions about, you know, where, you know, Windows Phone gaming should, should go next. I think the Xbox brand was very strong, but as this idea that more and more titles are coming out for all three major platforms, maybe not quite at the same time, but in a similar time frame, it is going to come back to, you know, how do those get tied together, uh, especially when you're comparing to Game Studio and things like that on the other platforms, you know, what role can Xbox play? No doubt we'll come back to that as a, a future topic, Ewan, but uh, perhaps we should move on to the uh, our next topic. And Steve, you were doing a, a fabulous comparison. So maybe you could give us a, a quick walk through you know, what, what you found from that. I mean, this was the Oppo N1, I believe, that you compare against the Lumia 1520. Yes, yes. But obviously we can find a lot of this content in textual form on the site. But uh, I, people will accuse me of, um, you know, playing unfair, really. We're an, a Windows Phone site, and, and my, according to my scoring system, the Windows Phone walked away with, <laughs> walked away with it by a country mile. But I think it's, it's fair enough to say that. If you look at the specifications of, and the amount of tech that has gone into the Lumia 1520, Nokia really have thrown the, the kitchen sink at it in terms of, apart from a Zen and Flash, that one component is missing. Everything else is absolutely top-notch. And with the price tag to match, I think it's about 570, 580 pounds SIM-free at the moment in the UK, whereas the Oppo N1, which I've been comparing with it, very similar size device, very similar size screen. The Oppo N1, less than £400 delivered to your door, which is really quite impressive, especially given that the Oppo N1 is not some cheap bit of Chinese plastic tat. Um, it's, it's premium materials. It's got a, me- a me- aluminium frame. It's, it's premium ceramics where, where there's not metal. It feels like an Apple or top-end Nokia product. Um, most of the, the specifications in terms of components are good as well. It's got a pretty decent camera with a unique swiveling mount that works really well. Decent speaker, decent screen. There's very little to complain about. And uh, yes, the N1 kind of got dismissed by five wins to one in my little green um, table scoring system. But it, it should hold its head up because for in terms of value for money, I think the Oppo N1 did very, very well. And uh, I'd, I'd be equally happy, happy with either tablet, I think. So the interesting thing here is, I mean, as you say, there's uh, similar specifications. I think 
the the, the fifteen twenties price is partly reflected, and there are a few areas where it's, it's superior. I mean, does the quality of components? I mean, for example, in imaging, the fifteen twenty was a, a relatively easy winner make a difference, and is that you know the difference in, in price coming from that, or is it also about you know, the, the costs that can be saved by you know Oppo obviously being a, a Chinese manufacturer, or rather, you know, not the traditional style of manufacturer. I think all of the above, really, in truth, because uh, the, the Lumi 1520, there are a number of technologies under the hood, things like the super sensitive display and the, the sunlight readability and the clear black display polarizers, all these are the display stuff. Um, the quality of the speaker is definitely louder and clearer on the on the 1520. Um, the battery, who knows, maybe maybe it'll be higher quality and, and longer longer lived. Although the Oppo N1, I think, is 3,600 milliamp hours. It starts off with a pretty high capacity. The imaging probably is the biggest single um, step difference in, in terms of component quality. The Oppo N1's camera is up with the Galaxy S4 and iPhone and so forth. It's got a typical one over three inch optical format sensor and it takes jolly good photographs as long as the light is good and very nice candid photographs and still light as long as low light as long as you're prepared to take 10 photos and just take the first one the 1520 gets some way towards that of the 1020 by having be able to reduce noise by doing this pure view over sampling and of course you've got a bit of pure view zoom as well ultimately there's more tech in the 1520 at every stage but certainly in the camera um, and maybe i don't know i don't know much about these bill of materials things maybe the 1520 has an extra 40, 50 pounds worth of camera hardware, Rafe, does that sound about right? Um, I think it's probably a little bit much on the on the camera hardware, but it, by the time you've gone across all the areas, I suspect you might be able to find something like that. I mean, it's a Snapdragon 600 versus 800, for example, in the, in the processor. Um, and there is obviously different quality materials. What's, what's interesting, I think, about the Oppo N1, and the reason I wanted to talk a bit around this topic, is we're probably going to see something similar to this happen in the Windows phone world that we've had in the Android world, where there's been a lot of these Chinese or perhaps it's fair to say lesser known manufacturers and uh, particularly in the western markets you know they become more firmly established in china um xiaomi for example is one of the manufacturers but also i guess you could talk about some of the ones that have come up like huawei and zte which has sometimes had a reputation for not producing the same quality of devices um as sort of nokia sony and some of the more traditional manufacturers but we're going to see some indian manufacturers producing windows phone devices we're probably going to see some more chinese manufacturers producing windows phone devices so this kind of discussion or debating point will come up in the windows phone world you know what represents you know, better value for money or is there a reason to buy these devices and i think what's clear from all of them and i know uh, you and you've used uh, devices like this as well and steve used the whole series of these devices is that they do represent tremendous value for money um is there some time to trade off against, you know, how much you know, the polish has gone into the finished device? I mean, you said here, Steve, that the Oppo uh, N1 has really good, solid design. Is there anything about it that you didn't like, that you felt like it wasn't such a mature or polished product? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, I cannot think of anything in the hardware that looks in terms of the look and feel in the hand. It looks, looks amateur. So I've used so many cheap Android phones, especially by people like Zeti and Huawei. I know exactly what a a cheap, a cheap smartphone looks and feels like, and the Oppo isn't one. Just another example, actually, the Oppo N1 comes in something most incredible, deluxe, um, rigid packaging, something that, that, that 
uh, speaks to something like an Apple MacBook. It's, it's, it's that kind of quality, really. Uh, you open it up and it's an experience. You want to keep every every part of the packaging pristine so that when you sell it on, you can sell it on with that same experience. When you open your typical Chinese ZT smartphone, you probably discard the cardboard after a week because it's basically it's falling apart anyway. But this is a high-quality packaging, high-quality production at every stage and high-quality components. Oppo, as you said earlier, clearly positioning themselves to be the you know, the luxury part of the Chinese market and, and good luck to them. I, I love what they do. And this is an important thing to note. You can't treat all of these sort of non-traditional manufacturers uh, as the same. And I, you know, we're also seeing this uh, in India, some of the differences. You've got high-end or at least branding themselves as premium uh, manufacturers. We've talked mainly on the software side, uh, sorry, on the hardware side here, but there's a, a software dimension to this. I mean, the device you were running was running the, the Cyanogen mod, which is an interesting story of itself in the Android world. Um, you and you've spoken you know, to the Cyanogen mod and the developers in some of your uh, past trips. Do you think that software element is also something that's important in these devices, You know, p- particularly to say, I think this idea of you know own brand or customized versions of Android has become very popular with these devices. It's something that, that you know Microsoft would need to think about. How does that work in the Windows phone world if they're to enjoy that same level of success? I think that's perfectly fair because we're no longer in the sort of Nokia mode of uh, when you. I see Nokia. Let's try that again. We're in the Symbian mode where you have the OS. Then you, you go into the app, you come out, you go into the app, you come out. Android's getting away from that mode, although it's up to it. And, and I think Apple are trying to change that away. But there are so many different bits of software that you actually need to, to work with uh, to make a modern smartphone. And to, to go slightly to the side, the, the Jolla smartphone, the Yola smartphone, depending on which part of Finland you come from, um, when you actually get it out of the box, there's almost no applications in it whatsoever. You, you have to download the first-party applications from their store, and it feels quite bitty. You know, you download the phone, you download the company, and there's, there's not a lot of talk between address books and such like. These manufacturers were always around, uh, you know, but if we go five or ten years ago back, you know, their options were very limited in terms of what OS they could run. Um, there were countless attempts at Java operating system. Steve would probably have some fun if we were to mention Java JE, if you can remember that far back. What Android has done is given, uh, in the same way that MS-DOS gave the PC manufacturers something that everybody knows about with. And the Chinese and BRIC countries especially have focused on what's available either through the Android open source project, and i.e. not having Google on it whatsoever, um, or these spin-offs of Android Open Source, Cyanogemod being the most well-known one, but there there are other options out there who are building up the, the operating system, who are building up that suite of applications. You know, typically when you switch a, a, a modern Android phone and foundation, you have between 15, 70 applications pre-installed on that handset. And people are looking for that when they buy a phone. Just the man in the street, it's not just a phone they're buying now, it's a phone with apps. So... To have an entire collection off the shelf that does everything you need it to do, like Cyanogen, um, in the future is what Yola is aiming for. And yes, if you go with Google and Android with the restrictions that you have uh, to get Google Play, you have that as well. You take that, you couple it with the ubiquity of hardware, which is at almost commodity level, certainly for the, for the low-end devices. The high-end, there's still lots of space to play around with. Uh, and you you have the same way that we have the explosion of the IBM PC compatible uh, that we had back in 1984. There is an explosion waiting to happen. 
what you, Apple has insulated themselves in the same way that they did with with System Seven, Eight, Nine. Where Windows Phone fits into that, you're right, right. That is one of the key things that we are going to be watching for as a site and as commentators over the next 12 months. There's not a huge amount of customization, but there is a lot of off-the-shelf applications available there. Windows 8, Windows Phone 8.1, maybe that's going to a little sop to the manufacturers to give them more branding and identity in there. But these manufacturers are already used to using applications as their USPs. Um, the Galaxy S5 presumably is going to be launched at MWC. I'm sure it's going to have a bundle of Samsung applications, all of which most people will root their devices just so they can delete it and get back to something that works. But applications are used as the identifier. Android, Windows Phone, iOS, they all have the applications that identify the platform. And because those are readily available with decent end hardware, you have Things like the Oppo coming up, things like the Xiaomi uh, coming through, your ZTEs, your Huawei's, and I'm sure there's going to be manufacturers in India and China that we've never even heard of that are incredibly competent devices. Isn't it exciting? Yes, you're right, you and it is uh, an exciting time, and there's a lot of change, which is why I wanted to really bring this up as a discussion point because we've been a bit insulated from it on the Windows Phone Insight podcast here. Um, one of the reasons I talk about it is it's becoming more relevant to the Western European and the US markets. You should make no mistake, a lot of these manufacturers are already doing big numbers out in Asia and China, best represented by Huawei becoming kind of the number three in terms of smartphone shipments. Xiaomi, I think, is the top uh, shipper in China now, or certainly predicted to do that in the first quarter of this year. But there is still this uh, sense of software playing a key role. And this is when the Cyanogen mod comes in. Uh, you're in saying that the, the install base is 10 million or so for that? It's, it's, a, it's just over 10 million um, because they can track with um, their callbacks to their servers in the, in the right. central builds. I mean, I still think that installation of ROMs is pretty small and people actually you know, routing your device and doing that themselves is small. But of course, 10 million, that's a pretty substantial when you think the Windows Phone actual install base is probably around 50 million devices or so. Uh, so it, you, know, you can't write this off altogether. And I think particularly with CyanogenMod and it's these hardware manufacturers creating their own variants of Android and, and pre-installing them or CyanogenMod being done as an option. We're seeing that from the manufacturers as well. My experience of these devices has often been that I don't feel the software experience is quite as cohesive as you get on kind of the Nexus devices uh, on Windows Phone or, or on Apple because it all fits together. And that's where there's still a lot of experience of these manufacturers, um, you know, can create a complete experience. It's not just about the hardware. It's not just about the software. All those need to come together. And nor can we understand as one block. I mean, we explain that when talking about Oppo with a kind of being a premium hardware. I'm yet to see something that I feel is a really premium software offering. I think that does become important when you talk about the mass market because while many of us listening to this podcast or talking on it might be happy to fiddle around with our smartphone software, a lot more people just want it to, to work out of the box. So a really interesting debate. And I think it does become relevant to Windows Phone because that's the market context in which it's operating in. Uh, Steve, let's go back to you. We've talked a, a, a lot about this. Have you got any sort of input into this? Well, just in, in terms of the Cyanogen mod and producing a, a, a base level, it's been fascinating picking up a device that hasn't been um, customized and tweaked and crafted, as you, as you say. Now, I know Nokia, um, for example, are very good at crafting their device in terms of the software experience and putting on just the things people might need and extra applications. And very few of the apps and utilities tend to fall over each other. But there are other manufacturers out there. Absolutely. <coughs> I can't mention. 
which um, which basically there's duplicates right, left, and center, and it's a complete mess. It's been fascinating picking up the Oppo N1 Cyanogen version because it's got virtually nothing on it. It has got the, the core Google apps, of course, and the core Android apps, but basically it's like almost like a blank canvas in which you can put just the apps you want and just the widgets you want, and you can build it up from from that base. But I accept that's probably not something for, <laughs> for the man everyone. in the street, and I suspect that Nokia's approach for one uh, of basically providing everything you need on the on the Lumia when you first power it on is probably the best one way to go. Well, it's a, a very interesting debate that in itself, the, the, the software just from the apps point of view. And yes, I think one of Nokia's strengths, which isn't very widely uh, acknowledged because a lot of people reviewing these devices are very knowledgeable about smartphones and know how it will work and set it up to their own liking. But having everything working out of the box and actually apps, be it you know, cinematograph or refocus, readily available and sometimes even pre-installed, you know, does make a difference. Um, it's one of the reasons that you know, Apple, I think, has, has done so well. I mean, maybe we'll... Uh, come back to this as a future discussion point because i think it's an interesting we'll be also interested to hear from everybody listening to this so let's bring this conversation back uh, from quite a large worldview uh, to be honest and, and and the future of um, android and everything going forward and and focusing on on windows phone now uh, windows phone 8.1 along with uh, windows 8.1 we presume is going to be around april time the various uh, conferences and developer events that Microsoft is running uh, around there. But again, we're starting to see more and more indications of things that are coming out uh, and will likely be in Windows Phone 8.1, Rafe. We're getting a, a feeling of what, of, of quite an iterative but visible change to the operating system that people are going to have in their Windows Phone devices, aren't we? That's right. I mean, there's been plenty of rumours around about what's, you know, Windows Phone next for quite a while now, and we've covered some of them on the site. But all the indications are now that Microsoft are going to formally announce it at their Build Developer Conference at the beginning of April, and it should be available to developers shortly afterwards. Uh, what we may see announced at MWC is kind of some Windows Phone 8.1 ready devices. Whether they'll be referred to that or not, I don't know, but they'll certainly be upgraded and indeed all of the existing Windows Phone 8 devices should get an upgrade to 8.1. But there's been various things coming out. I mean, we've seen a leaked screenshot around volume controls, for example, and that's saying that you'll have separate controls for kind of media and for apps, something that I know a lot of people have requested. We've also seen a screenshot for notifications, and as far as we're well talking to our own sources, both of those are kind of legitimate. And the, this is the idea that you'll have finer control over notifications. There'll be some kind of notification center, sort of a way to see toast notifications that have uh, disappeared appeared and be able to set sounds and control which applications can have them there'll be sort of different levels of notifications in the sense that there'll be some that you know visibly interrupt you and some that happen more in the background um, the, the complete picture of that is, is still to appear but we've also been getting things about Cortana that's been mentioned many times it's kind of the voice control element but also it's the sort of idea of a certain amount of artificial intelligence or the Siri and the Google Now type stuff being included in Windows Phone. There's still quite a bit of discussion about what exact format's going to take and where it's going to be available. But for example, Microsoft invested $50 million in Foursquare this week and uh, Bloomberg then reported that actually this was around being able to put stuff into Cortana to have contextually rich information um, about location in the next version or future versions of uh, Windows Phone. Um, uh, other elements that we could talk about in terms of Windows Phone 8.1 we've also seen 
um, something go through Bluetooth certification this week in terms of it's the first official time I think Windows Phone 8.1 has been kind of seen as a name in documentation. And again, that was tying in with arrival times of April and then um, May for consumers. It, it's probably worth pointing out there's been talk of an arrival in April, and I think that's the official announcement. The first consumer device is probably May time, but it may well extend into June and July and maybe even August for existing devices. Don't expect it to all arrive at once is what we're hearing um, uh, behind the scenes there's also been a leak of the samsung huron which is uh, samsung's first windows phone 8.1 device specifically for uh, verizon uh, all of this as you say does kind of add into a picture of iterative improvements or rather filling in a few feature gaps which is probably something that windows phone very much needs um, it's easy sometimes to say big radical changes needed but in this case we're not going to be seeing that it is very much building on what the windows phone 8 base um, but probably the most important thing that isn't obvious from some of the stuff that's come out is that in contrast to uh you know, the updates we've had for Windows Phone 8 in the last year, you know, GDR1, GDR2, Update 3, and the Amber and Black updates, there are going to be substantial changes to the uh, Windows Phone APIs, or rather additions to them, that will enable all sorts of new applications. The one that's come out most clearly is for uh, low-power Bluetooth or Bluetooth Smart, and that's the kind of health tracking accessories that we're seeing lots of different varieties of. And that will be available to third parties at the moment. It's just a private API within the system after um, Windows Phone Update 3. But that's going to come in as kind of public API. But you can expect to see a lot more of that. So the kind of the diversity of things you can do with application will increase. And that will be obviously reflected in um, notifications. Developers will have more control over that. But also, I suspect, internal links within applications and connections to the, the, the service layer, be that uh, Cortana, the voice assistant, and other elements. And you know, this is um, where, to go back to a conversation we had earlier on this podcast, you know, where is the value? And actually, uh, it's a lot of that is kind of in that API layer, but particular service layer that sits outside maybe the traditional app silo and what the platform can provide. And obviously, there's a, a lot of activity there. I mean, you and you've been tracking some of these 8.1 rumors. Is there anything that's particularly caught your attention? I think it's the, the, the increase in the virtual buttons, uh, because physical buttons cost more money to make. And Windows Phone, we've seen, does relatively well build-wise at the high end, but the, the big lion's share um, of money coming in, of volume and market share, happens in the low-end devices. And at that point, the decision of, do I keep my capacitive screen for things like volume buttons, things like power buttons, for example, uh, and then take away a physical button from the design? doesn't make a huge difference to the ability of materials if you've got a 600 pound device but if it's a 60 pound device that's what if we say it's what 50p for a micro switch that's about two-thirds of a percentage point on the overall cost that could easily be what three percent of the profit margin uh, on the phone so the, these things that are helping the build cost for manufacturers come down so they can create devices that are cheap I know that the Lumia 520, for example, is that sub $100 smartphone, but it still has some limitations. And, you know, the next one is the $50 smartphone. Uh, and if you can get there before Android, so much the better. That's where I think the, the appeal for me for Windows Phone 8.1 is the improvements are being made specifically to create even more value at the low end of the smartphone range. I know everybody talks about the 1020 and the extra cameras and compares it there, but it's the other end 
where hearts and minds are going to be one. In the same way that Windows PCs, you know, it was one at the 250 to £300 PC desktop market, not at the £1,000 workstation. The same, I think, will be true in Windows Phone. Yeah, and I think we can expect to see um, more to help that along in terms of maybe some of the silicon that's supported or other changes. I mean, that's why one of the reasons we can be pretty sure that all the existing Windows Phone devices will be updated. I mean, uh, allowing for some uh, hardware limitations and things like that. Or uh, Verizon wanting you to upgrade. Indeed. Um, just to be clear, this is a, a reference to the, the buttons that you have on Windows Phone device, the back key, the Windows key, and the search key moving off the kind of the, the surrounding bezel and actually onto the screen itself, and they'd be present at all times on there. Well, per- perhaps with some exceptions, that remains to be seen. Uh, and that's what's happened in the Android world. The other reason that this gets interesting is potentially at least manufacturers could use the same model or very similar design uh, and components between an android and a windows phone device and there's been some to- well exactly there's been some talk of how this might actually enable you know manufacturers to sort of ship windows phone devices more cheaply i think the, the samsung huron it looks to me like it's actually going to stay with what they did on the ATFS and actually have a physical button for the Windows key and then compassive buttons for the search and back key. But I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Samsung in the future looking at the possibility of doing kind of one design and perhaps maybe not Samsung, but certainly some of the, the Chinese manufacturers. And of course, you know, anytime you reduce that complexity of design, you're going to reduce development costs. And it's sort of, you know, how much extra would it cost to ship a, a Windows phone device? And if that's something that operators want, you know, there's certainly, certainly potential there. All of this is all still rather speculative because there's yet to be any formal announcements. It now looks like uh, Microsoft is not going to announce anything major at Mobile World Congress. I, I guess at most there'll be a little teaser of, of of what's to come with the main event happening, as I say, at Build 2014, which is right at the beginning of uh, April being held in the States. And, uh, you know, that that's when it will become available to developers, when we can probably start talking about it in more detail. And for consumers, it's probably a little further away, as I say, May, possibly um, June, in terms of availability on existing handsets. The first handsets to get it will almost certainly be the kind of ones that are newly announced. And, you know, Samsung, there's been this rumoured one from, uh, for, it's a Verizon specific, I'm sure there'll be a global variant as well. And Nokia, which by then will be owned by Microsoft, so I suspect we'll be referring them just as Microsoft Lumia devices, will have a, a, a whole range there. Of course, there's already some that are almost certainly you know, ready or just waiting for the, the, the shipment. And what generally happens in those instances is devices like the 1520, for example, um, you know, around May, June time, you can expect them to be sold out of the box running Windows Phone 8.1. But we're going to keep tracking all of this on the site. Uh, we t- tend to sort of shy away from doing every single rumor and only uh, talk about it when we can actually confirm it from our own independent sources. Uh, but we'll try and uh, provide as comprehensive coverage as possible. And when it actually happens, which is really when it becomes relevant to you, uh, that's when we'll cover it in detail. Um, certainly looking forward to seeing Windows Phone 8.1. Uh, Ewan, is that something you've got a bit of anticipation seeing Microsoft maybe filling in a, a few much-needed gaps? I think so, yes. It's also going to give us... We're going to extrapolate the direct for the rest of 2014, even though the Windows Phone 8.1 plan has probably already been set when Steve Ballmer is there, as opposed to the new CEO and the new divisions coming on board. But anything that continues that momentum, it says that Windows Phone is still here, it's still going through. Android have that every time they do an update on the on Android 4.x. They keep calling it Jelly Bean, but people are constantly seeing Android updated, Android updated, Android updated. Uh, for Windows Phone, they see... Yeah, yeah, we're still here. Look, my file spins. <laughs> being able to say it's still being upgraded is 
good for perception. Uh, and I think also we need to see that the existing handsets are updated. There will be quite a few people who might be gun-shy uh, if when they bought the uh, Lumia 901, for example, uh, in an April, and then within May it had been Osborne, and they still had 23 months of their contract left. Doesn't mm. the greatest taste in the mouth. Indeed, that, that, that sort of reference back to the uh, 7.5, 7.88. Uh, well, I think you call it a fiasco is a bit strong. But I certain... can call it a fiasco. If you want to call it a fiasco, that's <laughs> fine, Ray. If you carry on, I didn't say anything. <laughs> but of course, this also ties in, as you say, to kind of the perception around software. Tyson. Up... We've got Tyson <laughs> ties into the uh, perception around software updates um, because we've had uh, several updates you know in the last year with uh, ggr1 2 and 3 but of course the, the big updates is what people watch for and you know it, it does represent the change of the platform and uh, you know we've said recently i think on the podcast that we felt that it was with update 2 and 3 that you know windows phone 8 really sort of was doing a good job of offering the key features but i think there's a lot of people out there who still feel there's missing bits notifications and it gets talked about a lot but i think also for developers some of the maturity of the apis are open debate and so it's going to sort of reframe the debate a little bit and it's something we'll be uh, following very closely and of course we're always interested in talking about what new and shiny we're guilty of that as much as anybody else but it is certainly going to be then what windows phone the, the base that from which it has to fight on for the the next 12 months because certainly the next set of updates will be you know at least another year away in terms of big updates Updates. no doubt there'll be more incremental updates and it's going to be very much what um the kind of the new microsoft with its devices division all those devices will be running windows phone 8.1 and that's what it will be judged on and we'll be doing plenty of judging as indeed will everybody else indeed yes uh, we'll be voting them a hit miss and uh, maybe once we listen to this next track from the rolling stones Sorry, <laughs> David Hamilton there. My apologies. You're listening to the All About Windows Phone Insight podcast. If you've no idea what Jukebox Jury is, find what Wikipedia what Jukebox Jury is. So uh, we're fine there. The leader means for me to say thank you uh, for uh, my guests, uh, Rick Blanford. Thank you, everybody. Uh, Steve's had to disappear, but I want to just uh, tease that next week he's going to be comparing the Lumia 1020 with the QX100. That's a Sony device we were talking about earlier, but the sort of Higher quality. That's the big camera, yes. Indeed, that's kind of the DSLR equipment. We'll be interested to hear a lot more about that. So Steve will have that on the site um, sometime in the next seven days. And of course, we'll be returning with the podcast as well. But I'll say goodbye from me as well. Yes, indeed. Thank you all out there for listening. The Insight Podcast is found at allaboutwindowsphone.com. You'll also find us in iTunes, where we would appreciate your reviews. You can leave anything between one and five stars and some comments there. We can actually touch the comments. You can say whatever you like, and you will know it is genuine. Thank you very much for your time. We will be back here next week with the audio and, of course, online with all the words and the pictures every day of the week. Ta-ra for now.